0: All right, and we are live. What is up, everybody? This is Nick from P2W Fantasy here on Tuesday with a great guest. been looking forward to this one here. I am with Dr. Edwin Porras. Uh, Edwin, thanks for joining the show, man. Um, Again, doctor, doctor of physical therapy. Um, You do write articles for the Fantasy Points. Uh, Great, great thing that we have going on is your podcast, Injury Prone, is part of the Fantasy Points Media Group, which is the same – group uh ptw fantasy is as well so um that's that's been fairly new uh we have a bunch of great brands that are affiliated with that um your podcast included so edwin again thank you man for joining the show really excited about this one can you let everybody know because this will be on itunes and spotify and all that cool stuff where we can find you on social media and then talk about what you got going on Uh, a little bit different than your average fantasy analyst um when it comes to what you produce and your sort of content. So yeah, can you let us know about those things?
1: No, man, I appreciate you having me on. It's always fun being on podcasts. I think that's the one common thread among most injury, or not injury, fantasy analysts in general. People like going on podcasts. It's fun. It's it's enjoyable. I always say to people, feel free to ask me. I, I don't think I've ever said no. So it's a good time. So I appreciate being on. Um, I'm on Twitter and you can find all my work on Twitter at FB Injury Doc. The off season's my favorite time of the year because we get to dispel myths we get to pull data from the previous year, see how it compares to the years prior, and we really get to start making decisions on how we're going to draft. So it's really my favorite part of the year. All my stuff's over at fantasypoints.com, sort of like you already mentioned. Um, other than that, my my podcast, injury prone fantasy football podcast. Right now, the the big article that I wrote that I haven't <laughs> I haven't followed it up since then. Um it was in March I wrote about injury injury prone and what that, what that definition is, what it means, what the data and the information is behind it. So we can get into that a little bit later. But as of now, I appreciate you having me on, man.
0: Absolutely. And I definitely do want to dig into that because um, initially, I saw on Twitter, I forgot, I, I joined the space maybe like a year ago, a little bit over a year ago. And I remember distinctly, multiple times that phrase would pop up, and then you'd get tagged and they'd be like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And, and you'd come in with some, either like a a, a joke about it or some knowledge. But uh, yeah, I thought that was uh, interesting to think about just because myself included, I've been kind of guilty of using that in the past, um, being just a former athlete and having you know college soccer teammates that I'd label that way or look at some fantasy players um, in, in that aspect. So yeah, definitely want to get into that. Uh, real quick, um, so the Fantasy Points Media, that group... Um, media outlet for the Fantasy Points is fairly new. We have some podcasts on there. How did, how did you initially get linked up with the Fantasy Points in general? Because that's not new for you.
1: Yeah, so it is a little bit of a different story for me, right? I came into the fantasy space in August of 2019. I started a Twitter account, my little egg, and I started writing about injuries. Eventually, I wrote for you know several different places. And one place that stuck was when the fantasy points core essentially which is uh, joe dolan tom broly and ben kukanis they split apart from their old site and they were sort of in limbo for the 2019 season and they said it themselves they they were they were the fantasy free agents and they basically just did everything for free they wanted to stay sharp they wanted to stay on top of the news and the notes and so they did everything for free so when i realized that i don't even know how i i got a hold of ben's email and I messaged him, and I was like, "Hey, see so you're doing this for free. I'm still a student. I graduate in May. I think that I could bring an injury perspective if you wanted it. We don't have to publish it, but you know, this is what we this is what I have to offer. And luckily, we did basically what amounted to it in 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 a uh, an interview together, which was a podcast episode. It was like an hour long and we went over a ton of injuries. And luckily, Ben thought that I was good enough to stay on further site. And then it just sort of grew from there. And eventually I tagged along to them. I like to joke that I'm the Christian Leitner of fantasypoints.com uh, <laughs> because I'm just I'm just a superstars, right? You got you got uh, Graham Barfield, Scott Bear, Joe Dolan. You got all those people over there. And uh, I'm just me. So that's how I feel sometimes. But it's that's how essentially that I got linked up with them. It was a little bit of hard work and a lot of luck.
0: No, that's awesome. That's a great story. And I think uh, one of the big messages we can take out, out of that is just reach out to some people sometimes when you're looking to expand or link up or collaborate or you know join a team um i've had a lot of great uh collaborations for podcasts with people that were way bigger than me um, in terms of like following and things like that when i first started going and i've also on the flip side met some great friends in the space just from people reaching out to me and um i think that's an awesome story you reaching out to ben and then just building from there ben is a great guy he's the one who got me linked up with the fantasy points media. Uh, do want to touch back on that. Both Edwin and myself have, pod- have podcasts here with the fantasy points media. I want to drop that little graphic here. And with the fantasy points, uh, Edwin, obviously, you know a lot about the site. You write articles for it. Uh, myself diving in, I used to do tons of research on like five, six, seven different sites when it came to you know writing an article or preparing for a podcast. What I like about the Fantasy Points website is literally everything you need is in one spot. And I love that about uh, the site just because you don't waste your time trying to find the right information when you have so much stuff in one area. They had the advanced stats. The, the rookie guy just came out, which is awesome. They have a, an app version of that. Um, your injury section has a bunch of the articles on there. And uh, speaking on that, I want to touch on the injury prone is a lie. So you have two parts of this. I dug into the first part and then I realized, hey, I have access to the second part because I have a login for fantasy points. Found that out kind of late, but um, there you go. There you go. A c- couple pointers uh, just on on the article and then I'll let you speak on your own work here. Um, you spoke about uh, how you like to differentiate Uh, between injury narratives and uh, objective sports medicine. So obviously two different things when we're looking at what people say versus what is the actual sports medicine side of things there. Um, Injury history is relevant, style of play and BMI, and not so much according to your article. Um, There's performance impacts when it comes to injuries, obviously. One of the big stats that I loved about that article is that 2.3% 2.3% of games are injury-free. So that's a small amount of games, if my math is correct there. Uh, you also are quoted saying there's no right way to view player injuries, but there is a wrong way. So when it comes to this topic, it's one you speak on a lot. Um, we can probably spend the entire podcast diving in, but can you tell us just a little bit about why you are so firm on injury-prone is a lie and What are some of the things that come to mind when you are making your case for why this should be the case for injuries? Um, Just recently, James Conner today is now going to be an Arizona Cardinal. The big stamp on him and everybody today on Twitter was talking about, hey, don't worry about a Chase Edmonds uh, managers because it's only a matter of time to when he gets injured. So you have that stigma on players in the league already. Again, I talked to you briefly about myself. I was a college soccer player. I used to think that when it came to some of my teammates because they were hurt often, but labeling people that way is probably incorrect a lot of the time. So I'm going to give you the mic to dive into this topic here.
1: No, man. And I'm trying to, I'll try to keep it brief. I, I tend to ramble on this because it does sort of fire me up, right? It gets my gears grinding, When people use the phrase injury-prone, the problem is they're using it from a perspective of not really knowing what they're saying. Another phrase that I really get tired of is they've missed X games, you know, for for in this many seasons. So one of the things that I think people need to keep in mind is big picture, thousand foot, 10,000 foot view, right? When a person gets in a car accident and they injure a leg or they get a concussion, when have we ever looked at that person and said, oh, you're injury-prone? No, they were in a car accident, right? So the same thing goes for players who are putting on helmets and shoulder pads and ramming into each other at extremely high speeds. People are gonna get injured. The problem also is that oftentimes these narratives, which is what they are a lot of times, 99% of the time narratives are peddled by people who don't really have a background in sports medicine. And that's really who I'm talking about most of the time. My colleagues who are uh, Kairos and PTs and MDs, I can understand having a nuanced conversation about, okay, what does that really mean? Can we dive into the literature? What do you think of the deficits in ankle mobility? But really when it comes to fantasy football and what's applicable, a lot of times it, there's no such thing as injury prone. It's just, it just comes in shades of gray. And when it comes to the article, I, I I really start, I wanted to start from a place that cleared up what I'm not saying. And that's what I, the first four, three or four points are like, this is what I'm not saying, because I think that's just as important as what I am saying. So at the bottom line is, look, what you're saying, 2.3% of games have no injuries in them. But there's, it's also important to keep in mind that context matters. And so when it comes to a player like James Conner, he specifically has had connective tissue injuries that are, that are a big deal dating back to college. As a senior, whatever, his last year in the NCAA, he tore his MCL. That's an injury that less than 4% of, in, of players actually ever get in 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 college football uh, completely having to tear it and needing surgery is extremely rare then we saw that he had the high ankle strain another connective tissue injury then he had the ac joint sprain in the same year connective tissue injury he just had surgery for turf toe that's a connective tissue injury we don't know why he's having these connective tissue injuries but he is and so at this point i'm out on james Conner when from when it comes to that perspective so i guess that was Big picture, zooming into a little picture. James Conner is one of the exceptions. And I start in the article, I say exceptions do exist. If I were to say, you know, name a list of players who are on the exception list, I would say James Conner's on that list.
0: And um, I think, would this be true or false when we're talking about injury prone in the narratives that we see too much? Do you think that a lot of the times emotions and recency bias come into play? Because a lot, a lot, when I see it happen is because People get burned for two weeks or three oh, weeks yeah. by a player oh, yeah. or, or, um, you know, like a guy like Brandon cooks, I talked about before people kept telling me on the flip side, cause I, I'm still a fan. I'm still a fan of his, um, people kept telling me that he was injury prone when in reality, I mean, he did have the concussions going on, but, the guy barely missed games before that happened, but then he was labeled as injury prone because of the concussion. So, I, yeah, I think, I think uh, emotions and some recency bias kind of come into play with this uh, this narrative.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think Chris Carson is a perfect example. Uh, he really hasn't missed that many games. Truly, he's missed a, about the average amount of games that that running backs will miss. And they've been just random injuries. Uh, another sort of layer to that that I really can't stand, and I, I mentioned in the article, is the style of play, quote unquote, style of play. It has nothing to do at all, like very rarely has anything to do with injuries. And so, you know, you layer those things in and you get a. You, you mix a dash of this and a dash of that. And Chris Carson's the perfect player who is a person that, that you shouldn't fade because you're concerned with injuries. So, yeah, when it comes to, to Chris Carson, I think that he, that's a good example. He's probably missed like two or three games over the last – you know, a few years, but they've happened to be in spots where those managers remember they needed to win or, you know, it was playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Or they decided to, you know, keep them in the starting lineup on a Thursday when they probably should have pulled them. You know, one of those things, I'm sure that's what that's, so that's what went on. But yeah, recency and emotion, man, those play, those play huge into, into inju- injuries and injury management.
0: So with uh, injury prone is a lie, we spoke briefly here about part one, you do have a part two, would you say that part one is, more of the the overview and the basis of it in part two seems to be more diving into um, some, some data because I, I, I looked into part two um, a little bit earlier today, and uh, you had these, these graphics of characteristics, data type, values. You had some scoring going on. So is that kind of how the progression went for making these two articles?
1: Yeah, exactly. So basically you want to look at these – I almost called them patients. I mean they are patients essentially. You want to look at these players from a perspective – of what is their relative level of injury risk, we know that the highest or the best predictor of future injury is previous injury. And just because they get a hamstring strain doesn't mean they're going to turn around and get a concussion, or just because they have a high ankle sprain doesn't mean that they're going to dislocate their shoulder. That's not what we're saying. Te- typically you look at recurrence rates and you can c- collect that and make it an aggregate in addition to adding the positional demands, in addition to adding their injuries that they're already at risk for because of their position and you get this sort of composite score it's a it's an arbitrary unit of numbers of scores that will give you a a score for their specific injury risk the higher the score you know the the in theory the higher their their injury risk is and so that's essentially what part two walks through i also put in like you were saying um i sprinkle in my own analysis of specific injuries which ones i'm nervous about which ones i'm not the average timetables versus what the narrative is. And we can get a little bit into that too. So part two really is, if you don't care about using the, the phrase injury prone and you don't, you just want to be a better fantasy football player. In my opinion, I think you should just skip to, to, to part two. I think part one gives you a good understanding where we're, where part two comes from, but part two is really the bread and butter.
0: Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people will, if they have not checked it out already and, and people definitely should appreciate um, being able to, compare people and when you have some sort of system with you know scoring and values and uh, separating factors I think that's big because we see two injuries and we're going to talk about this later on we'll see two guys with the same injury but the same injury is not always the same injury Um, and we'll definitely get into that so again have Edwin with us today we're going to dive into uh, some guys that got hurt this past season and some outlooks for the future here uh, especially because there's a lot of questions coming for if these guys are going to be ready to go or what sort of injury actually was it and things like that. So we will get started with that in a second here. No fear to give, I feel what I can't forgive. I go on end this time, yeah. want not regret, I'll pick the best on trip, they don't understand. I play the win. Yeah, I play the win, I play the win. Yeah, yeah, play the win, I play the win. Oh play the win, I play the win. Yeah, yeah, play the win, I play the win. All right. So before we actually get into specific players here, I had a general question. Um when it comes to getting that injury report, maybe Monday or Tuesday in preparation for that Sunday game. Uh, We don't have to dive too, too deep into this one, but when it comes to those notifications in your app saying this person is dealing with this sort of injury, are there any injuries that pop up that immediately are red flags to, Hey, this, this is not looking good for Sunday. And then on the flip side, you have one where, Hey, this is usually just a common thing that comes out. Uh, from teams that you can be a little bit more laid back on.
1: So I think from a very general perspective, when you look at practice reports and injury reports, which is this is the first year that I was able to do that as the season progressed, most star players, if they're dealing with something, a lot of them will do limited practice Wednesday. If it's a, a traditional week, a lot of, some of them, I mean, AJ Brown, Deontay Johnson, they won't They didn't even practice on Wednesdays most of the year. And that's normal. That's something that I think it gets a little bit blown out of proportion so when it comes to general things i'm not worried about that's really one of them another thing that another injury specifically that i think is before this year i would have said not that big of a deal or maybe less of a big of a deal are high ankle sprains we all know high ankle sprains are bad intuitively we don't really know why well the first thing that i did this off season was dig into high ankle sprains and how they impacted skill players from 2016 to 2019 or i think it was actually 2016 to 2020 so it's a sample of 60 skill players on average, skilled players who average above nine points per game, half PPR points per game, had a 15% decrease in production compared to their seasonal average in the first week back from a high ankle sprain. So that's that. The other thing, and this is sort of similar with concussions, ironically, even though they're totally different injuries, when it comes to high ankle sprains, they don't necessarily recur often, but they do stick around. And you saw it with Michael Thomas, right? You saw it with Raheem Mostert. You saw it with Jimmy Garoppolo. There were a lot of of players that that happened to this year that's not uncommon for things to stick around for those that injury to stick around because of the blood flow the blood supply how the ligaments are structured and they just take a long time to heal the last thing i'll say is often when these injuries do recur they're a lot more serious the second time again like you saw with jimmy g with moster you saw with in 2019 with alvin Kamara. he had the additional mcl sprain so when you're looking at high ankle sprains specifically I'm really cringing when I see that my, you know, linchpin running back or my anchor running back gets a high ankle sprain. And I am running for the hills on any trade offer from now on moving forward that involves a, a player, especially a star, you know, player that has a high ankle sprain. I don't think I would have said that last year. So that's definitely the first thing that I took away this offseason.
0: Yeah. And I think, like you said, once you start picking up on <clears throat> some guys are missing X amount of weeks, more consistently due to a, particular injury, it makes you be a little bit more cautious. And I know uh, in a lot of people's leagues, the minute that something pops up on the injury report, that player is on the block or you have offers coming the other way. So kind of understanding that, hey, this might be a big deal, especially in redrafts or don't worry too, too much about this might be more of a rest day, I think is actually um, pretty important at times. Um, we, we saw guys miss tons of games this year. I mean, we'll get into McCaffrey at some point, miss a lot of games this year. And then we, we had other guys that miss a lot of games, but came back and came back strong, like a, like a Nick Chubb sort of player. Um, first injury. So I kind of broke some of these down by an actual injury, um, and had different players from different positions in these categories here. So the first one is ACL. I wanted to touch base on, uh, again, for, former athlete, that was like the biggest nightmare is, is like those three letters uh, in the back of your mind. Um, I had a lot of college teammates who actually suffered the injury. Uh, my brother actually suffered the injury. So um, when I whenever I hear those injuries, it just makes me cringe. Um, so three players that suffer this injury, and there was more than three, but three guys that come to mind right now. Um, so Joe Burrow, ACL, MCL, PCL, meniscus. Joe Burrow weeks one through 11 had 13 touchdowns passing three rushing touchdowns. He was the QB 16 at the time rookie season suffered the injury. Saquon Barkley only made it to week two and he suffered the injury versus Chicago, ACL, MCL and meniscus Cortland Sutton. A lot of people were excited about him coming into the season. He had three receptions this year and that was it because he had an ACL injury um, after a 2019 season where he had over a thousand receiving yards. So, Three different players, three different, maybe three different kinds of ACL injuries. Um, Can you dive into these three guys in any sort of fashion you want? Is there separating factors between them? Are are they going to be good to go uh, come the start of the season? Curious to hear your thoughts on Burrow, Barkley, and Cortland Sutton.
1: Yeah, let's start with the hot topic, right? So Joe Burrow, I think that's the first thing that we, we can mention. And when we talk about ACLs in general, like you mentioned, it is an injury that's difficult to come back from, but not impossible. We know that when, we know that when a player tears their ACL, there's a big systematic review that came out recently. I I think I cited it in the article itself. They looked at all uh, ACL injuries for NFL players, the best predictors, their three best predictors that, that predicted whether these players were going to be able to come back and play at their previous level. I'm going to let you guess them. Maybe you remember them. Do you remember what they were? I, I, that's all right. No, That's I all right. That's all right. of my head. Age younger than or equal to twenty four, draft okay. capital typically within the fourth round or higher, and an isolated ACL or a less complicated ACL, which would exclude meniscus, uh, LCL, MCL. Right. So those are the three best predictors for players to come back at their peak performance. Now, all of that matters within context because if a player is drafted within the first four rounds, they're typically talented and really athletic already and they also are going to get a lot longer leash from the front office. If they have a less complicated uh, ACL injury without any type of complications, then their rehab is going to go a lot more smoothly. And the last thing is obviously age. Our bodies, believe it or not, I hate to say this at 28 years old, we are in peak physical condition at 25. Now, unless you're like a CrossFit freak or, you know, a triathlete, the level of uh, your level of athleticism in general sort of um i guess capacity starts to really level off around 25 you're either going to plateau which a lot of these guys do right because they're they're also in peak peak performance shape um, but a lot of times that's when you start to see the the, the athleticism sort of at least plateau or, or or come down which is a big reason why you know running backs are not so valued after the age of 26. so those are the things you look at with acl tears now positional demands matter too. Now we can get back to Joe Burrow. And if I'm rambling at any point, just let me know. So Joe Burrow. I I
0: love it. I love it. Keep going. Keep going. Joe (laughs)
1: Burrow, right? ACL, MCL, probably meniscus. I did see something PCL. We don't know if it was a complete tear. That's a complex ligament tear. That is a complex injury. He he is nowhere near ready to go back as of today. And I'm concerned he's going to start the season on the pup. And even if he doesn't, you'll be throwing him out there with significant psychological apprehension. He's going to be skittish in the pocket more than likely, right? I can't predict that, but, I mean, it would make sense. Any human would be skittish in the pocket after that injury. And I'm just not convinced that he's going to be back by week one.
0: Uh, I I like not to cut you off, Edwin. I I like that point a lot because it's been brought up in a few podcasts before because I I noted, I said, if if I'm the Bengals staff, they keep saying we're optimistic he's going to be ready for week one. Why when they're speaking in front of competitors, are they going to say probably not week one, maybe like week three or something like that. So prepare for that. So I, I do like that uh, outlook on Burrow, but go, exactly.
1: Go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, that's good. And so even though from a positional demands perspective, even if Burrow is back in week one, I'm convinced of his rush. I'm I'm not convinced his rushing upside. He's going to meet it at least for the first like month of the season. I'm nervous about that. Of course, Everything that I'm saying, I'm not saying in absolutes. Things can happen. Joe Burrow is an extremely athletic dude. Really, really good player, obviously. But just even if he plays in week one, I'm nervous of his ceiling. And if you're drafting at ceiling, like you should be if you're playing to win. You like that? I'm a company man. I can do hey, that too. Hey, if you're I playing need something to win, that
0: was when you say that. But that's anyway. right.
1: <laughs> then, then you sh- maybe shouldn't consider drafting Joe Burrow. So I can move on or I can let you sort of, sort of take the
0: reins. Sorry. So with Joe Burrow, would you agree? Would you agree that? So I saw a graphic. I saw a graphic. It said um, Joe Burrow with A Pen, uh, Sewell, who's the number one o- offensive lineman in this draft, and any receiver, and he was making the pass. Then they had another graphic that said Joe Burrow and any lineman getting sacked and him not being able to throw to Jamar Chase. So I'm thinking Bengals staff-wise, it would be very smart to get this guy more protected coming off of this injury. And I know this guy wants his guy, Jamar Chase, but man, this guy just needs protection, especially like you are saying with the obviously physical factors, but some psychological factors coming back from this sort of injury. You want this guy protected as much as possible.
1: Yeah, I think that protection for him is going to mean a lot psychologically. And uh, it's going to be one of those things that, who you worry about, like I said, for fantasy purposes, I'm nervous for his ceiling this year. It doesn't mean that he can't reach it next year, uh, but I'm just not, he's not a guy that I'm drafting. If I have ceiling in mind specifically.
0: All right. Uh, with, uh, with Saquon Barkley. So we got a completely different position here. Um, A bit different of an injury, even though it was labeled ACL. What's your, what's your thoughts on Saquon? I, I actually asked this question too, and maybe I can ask at the end of the podcast, but um, do you believe Saquon is is a top candidate for a comeback player of the year? I do. I do think right now, depending on where he's at in his rehab, which we obviously
1: don't know, he's he's definitely comeback uh, a candidate for a comeback player of the year. Look at it like this, right? The three rules I mentioned before. How old was Sa- Saquon Barkley when he had the surgery? I think he was like 23 years and like 10 months or something, right? Mm-hmm. Twenty three. High draft capital. I think we can all agree. Though the word generational is overused, but he is quite literally generational. Yes. And he also had a, he did have a meniscus tear, but I think they were able to suture it. In other words, it was a little less complex, a little less complicated. They didn't have to cut anything out, which is a positive sign. So it's moderately complicated. It's not a maximum complication. The last thing that's really going to help him out is guess who has the closest athletic comparison to Adrian Peterson since Adrian Peterson at the position, say Juan Barkley. His athleticism's off the chart, right? There was a video of him that surfaced a few weeks ago, and it was him seemingly behind in his rehab. But we didn't know the context. We don't know if those single ex, the the single I guess unilateral lunges he was doing. Uh, we don't know if that was his warm up. We don't know if that video was taken two months prior. We don't know a lot. But it it did seem if we were to take it at face value and say that's where he is today, where he was at that point, he would be a little bit behind. He shouldn't be. He should be ready by week one based on the average timeframes, nine to 10 months. He should be back by week one. But again, you always got to hedge your bets. If it's really hard, it's going to be really difficult for me to fade Saquon Barkley. And even if I say I'm not going to draft him for ceiling, his best finish is RB2. His worst finish is RB10 on a points-per-game basis. I'm more than convinced the dude can finish somewhere in between there and be your linchpin, be your, you know, if you're going, uh, if not, not zero RB, but if you're going anchor RB, that's definitely, he's, he's not somebody that I'm going to pass up. I mean, he, he checks all the criteria to be fine. So I'm definitely less concerned for Saquon Barkley, even though it's a major surgery, um, a major injury. I'm less concerned for him than I am for, say, somebody like Joe Burrow
0: would you expect with the, so let's say you know a lot of people play redrafts it's probably the most common leagues uh, you know a, a lot of us play dynasty and are all into it but that's not the most common sort of uh, um fantasy fan um so Saquon barkley in the past has gone somewhere between 1 and 3 for redraft next year would you be concerned about any sort of easing him into games or do you think they're going to i mean it's hard to tell now i mean we're 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 crystal ball uh, predict in the future, but do you think it's going to be an ease into games or are they just going to open the gates and say, go
1: you're <clears throat> excuse me. You're making me argue with myself. So the <laughs> the devil's advocate argument would be he's coming off an ACL tear. You know, his workloads are going to be massive. I do think they pretty much kick him off with a, a big workload. And we know that there's a three to six times increase in soft tissue injuries for players who, who are increasing or decreasing their load, their workloads too much. He's going to be coming from a massive injury Then into training camp, then into practice when he wasn't playing football for a period of, you know, you know, six months, whatever it is, whatever it's going to end up being. So I there if there's anything that you would worry about with Saquon, it would be soft tissue injuries like hamstring strains, calf strains, groin strains, something along, you know, something along that nature. But again, I'm, especially if he falls to three, man, if I'm at the three spot and Saquon falls there, I'm, I'm happy to take him and then just, just hammer receiver after that. I'd be, I'd be loved. I'd love to do that.
0: I think just knowing the, the value of the name too in a, in like a redraft league, even if you do take him that eye and he has those opening weeks, I mean, you might be able to, to use that sort of value anyways. So um, good, good points there. Uh, Shifting to Cortland Sutton, I, I'm not, I'm not a big Sutton guy, to be honest. Um, I, I know you, you mentioned his teammate in that article, Jerry Judy, with his, his, uh, his movements and um, uh, maybe some underlining red flags with him. But uh, talking about C- Cortland Sutton, when it comes to Joe Burrow and Saquon Barkley, obviously their movements, um, their rehab process is probably a bit different. Is the wide receiver position due to all of the movements with the route running, does that make the ACL – maybe rehab process any different, or is it still kind of along the same path? That, that's what I was thinking of, because when I think of a, a good wide receiver, I'm looking at the, you know, the fast feed and the cuts and the jukes and all that. So I was always wondering that.
1: That's a good question, man. So when you look at ACL tears, wide receivers do tear their ACL at a higher rate per player than running backs or other skill player positions, pass catchers actually do. My theory, and I need to look a little more into this, <clears throat> excuse me, is that There is something to the non contact nature. There is something to the idea that their physical demands do require a lot more cutting, hard, fast cutting, more quickly and more often than a running back would. And, you know, a lot of times, because the philosophies are so different, right? With wide receivers, I mean, yeah, you'd love to take a step and go, but not you're not always running a go route. Sometimes you're running a post, right? Sometimes you're you're zigzagging. Sometimes you're pass blocking. Sometimes you're running a bubble screen. Like, the demands are so different. When yep. And when it comes to a running back, yeah, they're trying to put their foot in the ground and go. So, yeah, the physical demands definitely matter. And the other thing is, you know, open field tackles. When you have somebody in the open field and a DB is diving for your legs, that's something that you typically don't want happening, right? So that's probably another not situation. Be, yeah. Right, exactly. That's, that's another... Uh, another factor to consider when it comes to wide receiver ACL tears, when it comes to the rehab, it's really the later stages of the rehab where that starts to matter. Uh, you do look at the differences. That's where they split with a running back. you you're probably working a lot more single step cut uh, jump cuts, box jumps from the, from, from higher up uh, places, from higher, um, geez, elevations. And with, with wide receivers, you're probably doing a lot of the ladder, a lot of lateral movements, a lot of cutting, a lot more frequent cutting, quicker cutting. So yeah, the rehabs do tend to split towards the end of the, of the rehab process, but that shouldn't necessarily impact their progress overall. And Cortland Sutton was actually already running routes like a month ago, I think is I saw. So he was uh, ahead of schedule, on schedule, if not ahead of schedule. And I am absolutely excited to see what Cortland Sutton does this year. He's another guy, right? High draft capital, super athletic. He is not in the best situation, but I mean, when it comes to getting an injury discount, I'll take, I'll take Cortland Sutton wherever he falls to me. I'm, I'm assuming without looking at ADP totally blind, he'll probably fall to like what, maybe the fourth or fifth round.
0: Low. um, He is going pretty low. And a lot of people are attributing that to Drew Locke, uh, at quarterback, if that stays constant, a lot of people, you know, wonder what's going to be the role between him, Jerry Judy and Noah Fant. Uh but yeah, I I he is slipping low and I think the the injury stamp on him um has to do with it. Uh same with guys like Paris Campbell who didn't we didn't see this past season um but people were excited about uh prior. But I, I like the point about the rehab process because I see a lot of videos all the time, just just on Twitter, of guys getting further along and then them doing some more kind of position specific movements and things like that, if I if I'm not um incorrect there. Um just Seeing myself in athletic training rooms, uh seeing athletes starting to do some motions for, you know, tennis related activities versus you know a volleyball player getting ready to get back into action. I think is always interesting too when the injuries seem to be the same, but you're prepping for two different things. So uh yeah, great, great points when it comes to the ACL. Uh, we went through quarterback, running back, and wide receiver there. Achilles, I want to jump into. And the and the reason I want to jump into this is because Again, we talked about narratives on Twitter or, you know, in any sort of space, you might be with your buddies uh, talking um, about injuries or watching some games, whatever the case is. But the Achilles injury is one I've always heard a lot of different things about Um, this past season. Marlon Mack week one, Jonathan Taylor had the doors open for him more so later, but uh, he had that injury. OJ Howard. I've been an OJ Howard fan for a long time. I still have some hope for this guy. Uh, just because we talked about athletic freaks and this guy is an athletic freak. Um, he played weeks one through four and looking just into some things before uh, we jump into this, I watched some Kobe highlights because Kobe had that game where he shot that last free throw after just going off. And then he was like, that's it. That's it. And they're like, it's the Achilles. It's the Achilles. So again, Edwin, the reason I want to ask this is because I've seen a lot of different perspectives and I've seen, the most extreme things such as there's, there's not a lot of people that come back from Achilles injuries and it's such a tough process. It's one of the worst. What's your thoughts maybe on that injury and then any, any um, notes on any guys or anything else you want to jump in, uh, jump into?
1: Yeah. And so I think the most important thing to keep in mind when it comes to Achilles injuries is that they're compared often to ACLs. And the reason that they're different is because the subtle difference between a ligament and a tendon matters a lot a tendon which is an extension of the muscle itself it connects to the bone so any contraction you get from the muscle is pulling from the muscle through the tendon sort of like a bridge to the bone so there's it's sort of like a situation where it's it is a it's not a static structure but at the same time it's not a muscle so it's connected to this to the live structure and you it it, it just generates more power a ligament, on the other hand, is a static structure. It's not connected to the muscle. It's a bone-to-bone connection. And so you don't need it to produce power. You just need it to stabilize. And so that's the big difference between a tendon and a ligament. And when you get a ligament, when you rupture a tendon, you automatically lose the power in the muscle. You automatically lose any sort of you know, maximum one repetition max, for example, that you, that you had prior to, and you're starting from scratch and that muscle and that tendon really need to rejoin. And it never really comes back to what it was before it, you know, whether it's because of scar tissue, whether it's because of neurological connections, it's just difficult to come back from a, an Achilles injury. And so here are the numbers on tendon tears. So when it comes to a Achilles tear, the study done in 2019, I believe it was, let's see here. It was, the epidemiology and outcome of achilles tendon ruptures in the national football league basically what they found in the in the end and i can't see the name of the author i would say the last name it starts with a p perec i think it is there's a post injury reduction of 88% and 76% in power ratings for wide receivers, running backs and tight ends respectively over a three year period. So the power ratings, I think what they did was they took the vertical jump, um, the sprints and then something, something along the lines with their production. So after an Achilles tear, you just have this massive drop in overall athleticism, right? It's up to 78% in tight ends when it comes to patellar tendons, which is a tendon at your knee, you get, uh, it's got the, the NFL has the lowest return to play rate after this, Uh, patellar tendon tear which is it's incredible that what's the will disley it's incredible Mm -hmm. that he's still even playing in the nfl he's had two tendon tears achilles and patellar so basically to round it up because i'm rambling at this point marlon Mack and oj howard Mm -hmm. (sighs) marlon Mack will likely just be more of a nuisance than anything Uh, he's a fourth round draft pick he's on the border there he's not a great athlete he's beyond the border there and it was a pretty complex injury He's very unlikely to be productive again in the NFL, let alone for fantasy purposes. OJ Howard, you got to tell me what round was OJ Howard taken in?
0: I might have to Google it off the that's top okay. of my head. Yeah, I, I think so. I don't know.
1: He, I think that uh, draft round is a nineteenth overall pick. So he's, he's got pretty high draft capital, and he's really yeah. athletic. The yep. problem is he didn't produce before the tendon tear. Right, so that's the biggest issue. Uh, when it comes to his athleticism, he's absolutely a freak of nature. So even though I think that at this point his ceiling is capped, there is still some hope that O.J. Howard can keep stay relevant in the NFL somewhere. I just don't think that his the ceiling that we perceived prior to the tendon tear is highly unlikely to to be reached at this point.
0: Yeah, with OJ, uh, I think it was two or three seasons ago, he had a stretch. I think it was across like six weeks where he was a top like five, I think, tight end. He was just on a tear. Um, and he's a guy that can be an end zone target. He can He can be a yards after catch guy. But those factors with using the athletics uh, athleticism were kind of red flags um, when it came to this injury. Uh, Marlon Mack people were not overly concerned about him rejoining the Colts with Jonathan Taylor because of his emergence, obviously more so the second half of the season, but man with OJ, I just, I just wanted that little bit of, of hope still. And, uh, you know, with seeing not a great production, like you just said, um, where we can say he finishes the top 10 guy or something like that. I think the, the, the injuries, a little de- detrimental to, uh, to the truthers, but, um, yeah, would you, so, so overall, again, we, we talked about, um, the loss of, uh, power i'm sure expo- uh, explode uh being explosive things like that um so this is classified in your opinion then that is a more complex recovery than the AC- uh, acl that we just talked about
1: yeah this is definitely yeah. more complex complex rehab the numbers on it uh in terms of return to sport and turn to previous level of play are, are really bad unfortunately and it's just the nature of what i mentioned before when i nerded out about the difference between a
0: tendon and a ligament All right. All right. So I had to ask you about this next guy on the list here. So we talked about, again, ACL Achilles. We had some off-season news that A.J. Brown had some procedures done in his knees, which was crazy because it came out of nowhere. He missed two games this season. He had 70 receptions for over 1,000 yards, 1,075 yards, 11 receiving touchdowns. He had 106 targets. So the numbers don't say outside of those two games that – he looked like he was battling something. But here's a quote from our guy, A.J. Brown here. Nobody knew. They told me I was done for the year, like in week two. I played all year. I ended up making the Pro Bowl. Didn't know how I was going to do it. I did it. That's an A.J. Brown quote right there. So this guy had two procedures and his knees done. Um, my big question to you is how did he play this season and to a great level? Like that's insane to me to think that
1: so <laughs> that, that was fine. Remember when that happened, didn't he come out later and said something like the, you know, he was high, he was doped up on the drugs or whatever. Didn't he say that? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean,
0: I'm pretty sure he was like on Instagram or something and he was chilling in the bed and he's like, and he was talking about how he's going to be the best receiver in the league and this and that. And nobody knew that that was a thing.
1: Right. So later on, after that happened, Mike Garofalo from the NFL network came out and said that he had a quote cleanup procedure on his knee. It's highly unlikely Okay, I don't want to say that. Let me back up. It's possible that he had a meniscus tear to the point that he needed it repaired. Um, what's more likely, since it was both knees, is that he had some, some cartilage damage that would have been, could have been repaired with a regular just knee scope, which is what they call, quote-unquote, a cleanup. Um, those typically take anywhere from three to four weeks for players to come back from if you do one. If you do both, he is highly unlikely for him to come back within a time period that he felt was satisfactory. That probably would have been at least a two month absence just because it's difficult to get to rehab back from those. uh, Just depending, I mean, just how rare those are. I I haven't even, I've never even seen one in the clinic. I've never seen people get bilateral knee scopes done and have have to come see me. Now they are relatively simple to come back from, but again, not if you do two of them. So I don't think it's anything we should view as super, you know, pressing in in 2021, he's going to poop out or something like that. But I do worry now because the the path to Todd Gurley syndrome is with and through a bunch of scopes. And he had two on on one on both knees at this point. And so that is he is going to get a bump sort of down in my sort of collective score this year when it comes to longevity, because this is something that we should at least be aware of moving forward. That way we're not caught off guard. Like everybody was with Gurley.
0: Yeah. It's, it was interesting to see what people said following that. Um, because a lot of people were like, man, this guy went off this year uh, in the games he played and he was hurting. Uh, well, what's he going to do if he's completely healthy? Uh, it made me think of uh, Jameis Winston when he had the, the LASIK eye surgery and people were like, this guy couldn't even see. And now he's out there. Uh, well, we'll see. Maybe, maybe next season. Yeah. Could, could be the case. Um, yeah. With AJ Brown, was it with something like that? Was it was it a smart decision for the organization to let him prolong oh, something like this?
1: Man, you're I don't putting, know. I mean, now you're putting me on the spot. I don't know if
0: you called, if you called the uh, Tennessee Titans or not, and discussed this already. <laughs> right. So if you did not, we can always move on from that. But I, I that was one one of my thoughts. Like, hey, if they knew about this, I wonder if it was smart. It is like let it be until he hit a wall or what the case was. I I don't know. I don't know.
1: Here, here's what I always say when it comes to situations like that. I was not in the room. I didn't see his imaging. I didn't know his symptoms. I wasn't a part of the medical staff that evaluated him. I don't have any contribution that would be of use. That if I decided to wait and he decided to wait, I'm going to assume in the medical team,
0: were thorough evaluation, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough if you don't know the um, extent of the details to actually come in and say, yeah, this was good, this was bad. Obviously, they have people in the organization that um, are making these sort of decisions and things like that. So uh, I'm, I'm sure they have staff that are qualified to do so. Um, I got a couple <laughs> more guys, and we're getting close to the, uh, the hour mark here. We usually cut it off around there. Um, I got a few more, so maybe the longer we touch base on. Oh, might've lost him there. I think we'll wait a second here for Edwin to get back in here. All right. All good. Yeah. Yeah. I, the funny thing is, um, I actually had to connect my, Internet to the computer for all the recent streams because on two of them this past season, I had my guest host because I got kicked off of my own stream. So, oh wow, um, I'll, yeah, I'll, sorry, I'll get... sorry, that
1: that might have been oh me. no,
0: you're good, no, you're all okay. good, you're all good. Um, so Dak Prescott, great opening start to the season this past year, weeks one through five. He played, he got hurt in week five, nine touchdowns in his first four games, uh, 450 or more passing yards in three out of four of his first games. He was the QB one weeks one through four. He got hurt in week five, and across that, he was the QB4. It was tough to watch. Uh, It felt like emotional to see him go down because you knew it was bad. You saw the reactions on the field. The fans gave him the standing ovation, things like that. It was tough to watch. So he had that compound uh, fracture, dislocated ankle. So he got the contract. Will this pass injury for Dak Prescott, should we see a different Dak moving forward? Because, again, we – we saw the injury; it looked gruesome. We've seen a lot of guys come back from crazy things. We saw Alex Smith come back this year and play football, which was insane. Um, should should we be worried about a different Dak Prescott, or is that more of a a, a rumor or a myth?
1: So it de- it depends what perspective you're coming from, right? So when it comes to the specific injury that he had, it was a it was a fracture and a dislocation. I'll, those were those are definitely serious injuries they're definitely injuries to, you know, you don't take a lightly an open fracture is, is what they're actually called now. That's sort of new terminology. So the crazy thing about it is that I have the numbers here from a study that they did um, on distal fibula fractures in the NFL. And the name of the authors are, are Warner, Brian C. Warner, and uh, a bunch of other of, the, of their colleagues, they looked at all of these distal fibula fractures. And what they saw was that in offensive players, since let's see when this, this study was done. I, I think it was a, a pretty long 2000 to 2014. So 197 isolated distal fibula fractures. Uh, and there were, let's see how many of these were quarterbacks. Cause I had it on here. Uh, when it comes to quarterbacks, the combined fracture dislocation, combined tibia, f- tibia, fibula dis- dislocation fractures uh, were zero. From 2000 to 2014, there were no quarterbacks who had that injury. And so the fact that Dak had that injury was sort of a freak outlier in the first place. Uh, There were two isolated incidents, two isolated uh, fractures of the fibula, but not to the extent that Dak had it done. Now, he is doing great right now. I just watched a video of him last week. He seems to be planning on that foot. He seems to be throwing. His throwing motion looks whatever you want to call it with a dude who's rehabbing from an ankle. He should be back. The average return to play for these is typically around seven months, seven to nine months, depending on the the individual. And the thing about Dak is I sort of worry the same way that we worry about burrow ceiling. I worry about Dak's ceiling when it comes to rushing. This is definitely an injury that you worry about when it comes to the psychological impact. That's definitely something that you worry and you wonder about. Is he going to be nervous to take off? Is he going to be more willing to go in, you know, into the pile at the goal line? Because Dak is one of the most you know, mobile quarterbacks. He, he uses his feet a lot. And even though he can stand in the pocket and throw for freaking 400 yards like he's done the last two years, yeah. uh, his, his, his ceiling and the Konami code effect is really what makes him great. So I worry for Dak for his ceiling. I think if you take him – and you're like, you know, give average expectations, you temper expectations, and you, can, you we can be really surprised once he gets to see legs back under him in, in three or four weeks. But I do, for the
0: beginning of the season at least, worry about how he's going to transition back into the pocket. So would you say, you've mentioned this a few times now, the psychological factor about getting back into the swing of things um, and maybe having those flashbacks or those hesitations, is that one of the most common, I guess, domino effects of a big time injury is seeing how somebody psychologically gets back into the the swing of, Hey, you know, normally I like Dak 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 would lower his shoulder and hit somebody. I mean, now, like you're saying, I don't know if that's the case. So that's a common factor. Yeah,
1: that's definitely something you worry about. I mean, the sports psychology side of this is, is huge and you see it with, you saw it with Jimmy G when he came back from his ACL tear, you saw it with Alex Smith, understandably. So you see the, this, the skittishness that, players will, will feel and apprehension. That's totally normal. Once they you know get settled in, maybe it gets better. But for the first few weeks before you get settled in, yeah, that's that's definitely a factor that we need to consider and a factor that maybe he's fine. Maybe it doesn't bother him whatsoever. But from a physical
0: perspective, he should be good to go. And not uh, just thinking about myself and not at all comparing myself to an NFL player, but I, I do remember freshman year of college, I actually had a skull fracture and I played soccer. So I remember the first, the first handful of practices, getting back in the swing of things, and then that first and second and third game, balls up in the air, and there's nothing more I'm thinking about than my skull fracture. So I, I get that, and obviously it's different in the NFL when you got those sort of athletes tackling you and things like that. But uh, good, good, good points with Dak. Obviously he's got a supporting crew for fantasy um, that gives him that upside, but we know that the rushing upside for quarterbacks is huge for the extra fantasy points uh, when it comes to guys like Dak. And we can go down the list of who else is good um, when it comes to that as well. I got three other guys on the list. We'll hit on these pretty quick here. Um, I got to talk about, oh, he's back here, bottom, uh, bottom left or right shoulder here. Christian McCaffrey, the 101 Some people still say he's the one one of dynasty, super flex or quarterbacks or one quarterbacks uh, this past season. It was kind of like a tease because he played in three games, but when he played in three games, he played like himself. Uh, Week one, 97 rushing yards, two touchdowns, 28.5 fantasy points. Week two, he had two touchdowns again, so back-to-back weeks, four catches, 24.8 fantasy points. And then in week nine, he came back from uh, injuries. He had 69 rushing yards, 10 receptions for 82 receiving yards and a touchdown, 37.1 fantasy points. So it was such a tease because we all – obviously selfishly wanted him back and when he was back he was going off like usual um these injuries this past season uh maybe you want to touch briefly on those but should should we be concerned about labeling him as that 101 um because he missed so many games or is missing these games any sort of uh signal for him to prolong his tenure as a running back because in fantasy when a running back turns 25 26 it's like some people think they have to be rolled out to the field and things like that. So um, yeah. Curious to hear your thoughts on Christian McCaffrey,
1: Christian McCaffrey. If anybody lets him slide to the two, you're taking him.
0: you are taking him,
1: you're taking him to the bank, you're laughing. And then you're going to catch it in and laugh again. I love it. Christian McCaffrey suffered a high ankle sprain. First, they took it really slow with him, came back, had an AC joint sprain. We didn't talk about this, but the AC joint sprain, and I talk about it in the injury prone article is one of the injuries that I am the least scared of. And I'm targeting players who have AC joint injuries, especially if they come back after the three week mark after the average, because the tip, the typical recurrence rates are not talked about. They're not very high and they just tend to be an injury that players can come back from without issue. So came back from there, came back from the high ankle sprain, had the AC joint. Finally, after going from training camp to rehab, to game, to rehab, back to tr- to practice, then to the game, his body was just confused, man. When you're at that elite level, your workloads matter. I mentioned earlier the three to six times higher percentage rate of, of soft tissue injuries after you are laid off, after you're laid up or, or after you actually do too much. And that's probably what happened to him. They also, the Panthers looked at the writing on the wall. They said, there's no point in us putting him out there in the first place. So this exactly. quad strain, yeah, this quad strain that he had was, was probably a little bit of let's protect him and also a, probably a lot of his body just going haywire. Now that he's back into the group of things, he had two injuries that should be healed by now and two injuries that don't recur and the volume that he's going to get, hopefully with an improved offense now with, with Sam Darnold back there. I mean, dude, no, if, if anybody tells you that they're worried about Christian McCaffrey, then that's, that's how, you know, that's a bad, bad fantasy player and they don't read any injury analysis
0: because I've seen the label injury prone related to Christian McCaffrey. And again, we talked about emotions and we talked about recency bias. And I think those are two major factors with Christian McCaffrey. And I like the point about, you know, where they were in the season. Um, It's like two different mentalities. If you had McCaffrey in a redraft, you were like pounding the table, like put him out there, put him out there. But if he was your dynasty running back, you're like, hey, you know what? He's all right. Let, let, him, let him have a longer career, not getting, you know, more and more banged up to win like three games or whatever they won this year. Um, but, yeah, that was a major factor. And if people don't kind of think about that, I think you're missing the bigger point of um, how an NFL organization runs, especially if they're not winning games. Um, two quick guys here. Maybe it's quick topics. Trevor Lawrence, we're, we're – assuming he's going to be the 101 to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, he had a labrum surgery on his non-throwing arm. My, my, my big question, I guess, is wh- why is this a thing?
1: So <laughs> good question. I don't know what happened to, to Trevor Lawrence in his non-throwing hand. It's a, co- a super common injury. It could have happened on a tackle at some point. It could be a chronic thing he's had going on since, you know, high school. Basically what the labrum does, uh, it's, it's cartilage And the way that the shoulder sits in the socket, the shoulder bone sits in the socket of the shoulder is it's not very stable because it's really mobile. And you can think of it as like a baseball sitting in a cup. And then if you were to wrap some paper around the baseball, that's what essentially the labrum is. It's a shelf that protects the shoulder from popping out. He had some damage. He had a risk of dislocating or probably had dislocated or subluxed in the past. They just decided to, to clean it up and it's not anything you should worry about especially in a quarterback in his non non-dominant arm.
0: Yeah. When people see the word, uh, surgery, you know, the lights start going off in the head, but yeah, I saw that from a few people asking like how he's not doing much with that other arm. How does that happen? But like you said, it could have been contact or, um, anything related to that. My last question of the day for you, Edwin, Kenny Galladay is now a New York giant, he played he really was involved in four fantasy games this year 17.7 16.2 14.5 17.4 2019 he led the league in touchdowns um my question for you is i saw a lot of rumors out there that he had the hip injury the hamstring injury and a contract injury when those <laughs> weekly reports popped up it was so weird because it seemed like he was coming back and then he wasn't it seemed like he was coming back and then he wasn't do you think that is, is that a rumor, you think, in your mind? Obviously, we don't know. But do you think that any there was any sort of implication that, hey, maybe, maybe he could have came back, but he was kind of stalling on doing so, or the organization?
1: You know, this was the most irritating thing to deal with. And uh, after that picture came out of him, uh, you know, with uh, a female person and uh, dance or whatever they were doing, posing for a photo, That that was my tell that it seemed as though, he was fine. I think he was fine. I think that it was something that we we don't need to worry about or concern ourselves with. The thing about fantasy players too, and sort of to, to give a big picture philosophy, I think that when we see something, our gut is to respond in a way that makes us feel like we're doing something. The bottom line I've learned, especially with injury analysis, because teams aren't always forthcoming, is that if there's no information to go off of, there's really no actionable decision to make. You just have to proceed as if everything's normal. And when it comes to the contract situation, when it comes to the vagueness of the injury, when it comes to the inability of, you know, five, six, seven uh, injury analysts that I've seen on Twitter, trying to find the the play where he was injured on. I think Occam's razor, man, the, the simplest answer is probably the right answer. He saw the writing on the wall with his contract. He knew they weren't going anywhere and he was just, I don't want to say dogging it, but at the same time, he—it was a probably a legitimate injury that he said, "Hey, I, I just want to take time to rehab this." There's nothing that makes me worry about Kenny Galladay other than Daniel Jones.
0: Oof, the, the little dagger at the edge of the, uh, at the edge of the statement, in right in. There. there. Yeah, had to throw that in. Um Off of what you just said, uh, obviously you're not going to nag on other injury analysts or people that maybe just talk about injuries that are not actual injury analysts. Do you you see that often uh, looking for something that's not actually there? Is that common at all or um, looking for maybe more than is actually present? You know, when it comes to maybe analyzing the length of injuries or how bad an injury is, or is that maybe just more related to this situation where we didn't have enough details, so we were looking for them? I
1: think that that's a good question, and I think that I the reason I wrote about the the what I'm not saying article in the in the injury prone the injury prone article in the section of what I'm not saying is partly because of that. I think sometimes we analyze things too hard. You know, as injury analysts, I'm guilty of it too. I'm looking at something and I'm saying, well, are they moving two degrees less, you know, from their hip because it looks like they're trying to compensate from their knee on that cut? Does it look different than? you know, X, Y, or Z, I think analyzing a random sample of information or video or, or or film when you're trying to determine risk is just fruitless. I don't think we're going to get anywhere with that. I think trying to, to predict injury is impossible. You know, if it were possible, somebody, there'd be a really rich person out there and nobody would be injured. So yeah, I do think there's a little bit of that. I do think that there's, we're too reactionary and we want there to be an answer to the question that we're asking. And so we'll find it or we think it's the most convenient. And so I I don't think there's anybody in particular that does that per se, but I do think that as a whole, we probably do a little bit too much analyzing of, a, of just like a small sample of, of film. So yeah, I definitely do think that there's, there's something to that.
0: And uh, I think that kind of goes obviously two different things, but just looking at people that dive into the deepest of advanced stats when trying to prove a point, I see that kind of often too, where, you know, they're, they're looking for the smallest separating factor between two sleepers or something along those lines and trying to really, uh, utilize the advanced metrics that they can find on some guys. But, uh, great, great points there. I I like that a lot. Um, so we're at the hour mark here, wrap things up. I'm sure we can talk about fantasy, talk about injuries for another hour here, but I cannot get in trouble that way. And I'm sure you got things going on as well. Uh, so thank you very much, man, for coming on the podcast, uh, great talking about something different because I feel like during this time, we talk about too much of the same things. Uh, we have the rookie class coming in. So it's nice to talk man about size. something different. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, where where can we find you? Uh, anything else you want to plug? Maybe something you have coming up that we should be looking out for.
1: Uh, I'm, I just did a study on concussions. So look for that to be out at some point and uh, miss games, stuff like that. Other than that, follow me on Twitter. Thanks for having me, man. At FB Drew
0: Absolutely. And uh, this will be out on iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff soon uh, this week. And we will be live again here at P2W Fantasy on Thursday, uh, Victoria and Bobby Bruce on the show. So look forward to that. So thank you guys for tuning in, whether it was live or on the uh, podcast. And uh, have a nice night, everybody.